Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. I'm going to start with a question, a couple questions this morning. If I took a poll in the room, how many, I wonder, would classify themselves as an extrovert or an introvert? Let's see. If you would consider yourself an extrovert, raise your hand. Okay. Now, all the introverts, introverts right now are just hoping that I took the opposite count and not ask them to actually raise their hand in front of me. But I'm going to ask if you feel as if you would identify as an introvert, slowly, so you don't have to raise it high, but just raise it up. Okay. Now, there's not a right or wrong answer to that. And I know you extroverts are thinking that, that that's a false statement, but there really isn't. There's not a right or wrong answer to that. It doesn't mean you're better if you're one or the other, vice versa. And, and we have wrongly categorized, I'm just going gonna to fight for you this morning. We have wrongly categorized introverts. I've done it. I'm guilty of it. But all it means when you ask that question is how are you energized or how are you charged? For extroverts, being around people gives you energy and it excites you, and that's how you fill up your tank. With your others in the room that are introverts, you are simply energized by being alone. And that's okay. That's good. Let, let me ask the second question. How do you feel about the pop-in? The pop-in. Do you know what the pop-in is? So the pop-in is, it might be somebody you know, but they show up to your house unexpected, no call, no warning, just knock on the door, how you doing, I want to come in. How do you feel about that? A lot of you are shaking your head. I actually, maybe a little odd, I love those kind of situations. So if, if you want to pop in, my wife is not liking that I'm probably saying this right now, but you can pop in anytime here in my office. I'm happy to just to do that. Linda, you, we got to pop in together at the grocery store this week, right? Talking over tomatoes. So, you know, it's fine. Um, what it really boils down to, how do you feel about interruptions? How do you feel about being interrupted? For some of you, interruptions is like a new adventure, something new that you weren't expecting, and that sort of excites you. But for others, you have your plan, and don't dare anybody mess with it. Don't get close to what I thought I was doing today. So the, for the past several months, we've been going through and reading and studying together the book of Matthew. And last week in our passage, we saw that Jesus is constantly met with interruptions. Last week, we saw he's been asked this question about fasting from John's disciples. And as, as he was giving that answer, suddenly Jairus uh, came to him and said, My daughter has died and interrupted Jesus' teaching. And then we saw that on his way to Jairus' house, 
that he was interrupted again by the woman with the issue of blood. And as we have seen again, that interruptions are just this daily part of Jesus' life. And we see him responding with grace. When Jairus interrupted Jesus' teaching, we don't see Jesus lashing out to him and saying, how dare you interrupt me? No, we see him simply gather his disciples, get up, and head to his house. Now, I'll be honest, even though I, I do identify as an extrovert, interruptions are tough for me. Because what I feel like, and I, I'm working on this in, in my own personal life as well, um, if I even anticipate that I could be interrupted, particularly when it comes to like my study and my time with Jesus and my, my sermon prep, if I think, oh, I might get interrupted, I'll just not do it because I don't, I don't want to break my focus. And that's not healthy. It's not good. Again, I, I'm, I'm working on this. Um, but we're going to continue to see today that Jesus was interrupted all the time when he was ministering. And then we're going to be able to learn from his response. So let's look. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 24 through 34. Now, if you look in your bulletin, there's a sermon title there that is not for today. That's where I thought we were going, but it, I was interrupted this week in my study and go, no, 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 let's slow down and spend some time a little bit on those earlier verses. So we'll catch those others next week. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 24 through 34. And whether you're on your device or you have your Bible, if you'll just follow along with me, I'll read that for us aloud. Matthew 9, 24 through 34. I think I wrote that down wrong. 27 through 34. Thank you. All of you were like, where's he going? 27 through 34. Here we go. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I can do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole area. Just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. And when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowds were amazed. And they said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. Let's pray. Father, this morning, would you interrupt us with your spirit? Whatever plans we have laid, whatever plans that we thought we had for how today goes, we lay those at your feet and say, Spirit, have your way, have your will. You are a far better guide than we could ever be. And so we submit to you as Lord, and we ask that you rush in this room changing hearts, changing lives, opening up our eyes, causing the blind to see. Father, would you allow your word to be heard this morning, both afresh and new, so that we can see our need for you. 
And we thank you for doing this all for your glory and your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we see. Jesus has just come from Jairus' house where he raised his daughter from the dead. And then again, as we said, another interruption. Verse 27, as Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now here's where we're going to pause, and we're going to spend a lot of time on those simple words, this phrase, Have mercy on us, son of David, because deep down it is far from simple. So let's first look at the title, sort of the end of what these two blind men called out first. They called out to Jesus and called him Son of David. Now we have not seen this title ascribed to Jesus yet. We have not seen anyone call him this so far in the book of Matthew. We've seen him called the Son of God. Satan did that in the wilderness We've seen him called Lord by the leper and even the disciples. And so last week, Jesus even referred to himself as the bridegroom. And he's also called himself the son of man. But this is the first time we see anyone attributing this title to him, son of David. And what that means is these blind men are acknowledging and professing that Jesus is the promised one. And every Jew who heard this proclamation at this time would know that these blind men are giving this title to Jesus. And they would know they are calling him the deliverer of Israel. There is no questioning. There is no possibility. By using son of David, they are resolved. This is not up for question with the blind men. They are not questioning Jesus' title that he is the son of David. He is the Messiah. If you remember the account in John 4 where the woman at the well meets Jesus, after he walks her through and explains to her her life, she goes into the city and the scripture tells us that she says, could this be the one? There was still question in her mind, not with these blind men. They are clear. They believe this man is the son of David. He is the promised one from David's lineage. And I want to show you where that comes from. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, Nathan is talking to David, and here's what he says. He says, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is being fulfilled, and what the blind men are saying to Jesus, that he is the son of David. Now let's look at what they asked for, and how they asked for it. Have mercy on us. These men are not demanding. 
These men are not coming with this, we deserve this attitude. They, they didn't come to Jesus and say, well, we've heard that you are healing others, so in order to keep it fair, you have to heal us too. No, they came humbly. One commentary said it this way, it says, they knew that they were undeserving of the Lord's help. But they also must have known that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. That he is good to all and his mercies are over all his works. He said these two men came to Jesus not only with a right understanding of his great worthiness, but also with a right understanding of their great unworthiness. But their cry, have mercy on us, is not just about being physically blind. Their cry is not just about wanting to regain their physical sight. Most scholars agree that, that this also is a cry for their soul. Now think about it. We, we sing this all the time, right? In many of our hymns. At the end of the first verse of Amazing Grace, what does it say? I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. These men are not just coming to Jesus to receive their physical sight. They are coming to him so that their spiritual eyes can be open to his saving grace. And see, this is how, just how you and I come to Jesus. Our eyes are blind. Our eyes are blind to the things of God. Psalm 51 even tells us that from our mother's womb, we are conceived in sin. We are all born in sin. And I've had some people question me about this. Now, I've had some people even disagree, but, I, but Scripture is quite clear. We are all born in sin. And here's most of the time the disagreement that they have. Now listen, you're telling me that a sweet little baby, smelling so sweet, so soft skin, wrapped in a beautiful blanket, you're telling me that that baby is born in sin? We sang it this morning, oh how sweet to hold a newborn baby and the joy and the pride that he gives. And I'm not discounting the wonderfulness of a baby. But let that baby get old. Even just a few months. All of you mothers and fathers in the room know. Did you have to teach your baby the word mine? No. Did you have to teach your baby to hoard up all the toys for themselves. And if someone comes over, a brother or a sister or a cousin, and they try to take one of those toys, did you have to teach your baby to punch them, to do whatever they could to get them out of the way so they could keep 
their toys? No. We had to teach the opposite to share and to love. So where did they get that from? Where did they learn that behavior? Well, they didn't. Because that behavior is sinful. And their heart is rooted and was birthed in sin. Now, I know it's hard for us to even imagine and think about that. But, but again, if you just really lay it down and go, oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember those years. Even from birth, our hearts are turned toward our selfish need because we're born into sin. Now, when we get into the New Testament and we see Saul transferring into Paul and that transformation that the Lord does, what we begin to see, Paul says that in Acts 9-8 that he had scales covering his eyes. And it even says that his eyes were open but could not see. So we're talking more about just physical sight here. You see that? If his eyes are open but he can't see, we're talking more than just physical blindness. We're talking about spiritual blindness. But we understand that Saul's eyes were open. And if you read on down in Acts chapter 9, verse 18, it says that something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. We are all blind until we hear the good news of the gospel. We are all blind and, and, and postured, our hearts are postured towards sin and selfishness until we hear the good news of the gospel. And when we hear the good news of the gospel, that sweet answer to our heart's desperate need that Jesus has paid the cost for our sin and has laid down his life and paid the price so that you and I could come home. And when we hear the good news of the gospel, the Greek calls it the evangelion, our hearts that were once made of stone begin to transfer into hearts of flesh. And the scales that covered our eyes fall off and we're able to see and in that moment we realize the truth that we are lost but Jesus has found us and our only response in full humility is that we cry son of David have mercy on me And here we see this interruption. Verse 28, when he entered the house, the blind man approached him and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I can do this? Jesus went inside the house and we believe this to be Peter's house. He went inside, but the blind men didn't let that stop them from getting to Jesus. They just rushed into the house with him. Again, last week we looked at the pursuit of, that Jairus had. We looked at the pursuit of Jesus that the woman with the issue of blood had. And here again, we see this pursuit of Jesus that these men are displaying. They didn't let anything get in the way of getting to Jesus. 
They didn't let anything get in the way of pursuing the one who they knew was the son of David who could remove the scales from their eyes. Now think about it. I don't think anyone in this room has ever experienced it. But being blind causes some limitations. You have to use your ears. You have to use sound and feel to get to places. So it takes you longer. You can't just watch Jesus walk through the door and then go, okay, I'm going to follow him. No, they're having to work to get to Jesus. But they didn't let their limitations stop their pursuit. Even if it meant bombarding into Peter's house. And what an interruption that they caused. What an intrusion But instead of Jesus being angry with them, how do we see him respond in grace with the question, do you believe that I can do this? Sounds similar? Jesus has asked this question before. He asked the leper that we saw just a few chapters chapters back this same question. And, And let's be clear, Jesus is not looking for a response based out of knowledge. Let's be clear about that. He's looking for a response based out of faith. Because as we see the Pharisees If one thing that they know is that Jesus can heal, but it's a whole other thing to believe that he can. We may have knowledge about a lot of things, but it's only the things that you actually believe in that you're willing to stake your life on. You you may know an asundry of things. You may have knowledge about all kinds of different inner workings and all kinds of different things that maybe no one else does. But it's the things that you actually believe in that you're willing to put your life at stake for. Verse 29 says, Then he touched their eyes, and he said, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And see, when we see just at the end of 28, when their response is, do you believe that I can do this? He says, uh, the blind men say, yes, Lord. Their response is, yes, according to their faith. They say, yes, you can do this, but they follow it with the word Lord as an act of continued humility and submission to signify that he is Lord over all. And we've heard Jesus again give this response too. According to your faith, let it be done to you. And and I want to encourage you again this morning that simple faith in Jesus can produce mighty things. Remember, he's not asking about how much faith that they have. He's simply asking, do you believe that I can do this? Do you have faith in me? That's all he's asking. The first part of verse 30 says this, and their eyes were opened. For the first time, 
they both can see physically and spiritually. Both their physical eyes and their spiritual eyes have been opened. And the second half of verse 30 may seem a little bit odd, but I think it gives us a lot of hope. Look at verse 30, the second half, and we'll read through verse 31. It says, Then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole area. This is a picture of the grace of Jesus. Because he knew. He knew before he ever asked them not to go and tell that they were going to go and tell. He knew how they would respond. He knew they would defy his instructions. His direct instructions would not be heeded even before he healed them. Yet, he still gave them sight. This is hope for us. This is hope for our receiving from Jesus is not dependent on our works. Because gosh, if Jesus was taking tabs and expecting us to follow the law completely in order for us to receive from him, we know that all of us are hopeless. This is his grace being poured out on these men. And even for you and I, Jesus went to the cross knowing that even after he died for us, even after he saved us, we would still sin. He knew we would still deny him. And yet even still, he sacrificed his life so that you and I might live. Now don't read this as the Romans did as a license to sin. Don't read this as go, oh, even if I completely reject what Jesus is telling me, he'll still be bountiful and he'll still... No, that's not where we're going here. That's not using grace as it should be understood. Our goal is to do everything and follow Jesus as closely as we can, knowing that when we do fall, His grace is there to cover us. Yet again, another interruption. Verse 32 and 33, Just as they were going out, this demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. And when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowds were amazed. And they said, nothing like this has ever been seen. Jesus continues to welcome these interruptions. Some have said that this, this deaf and mute man were friends of the blind man. And after they were healed, they ran and got him. Or maybe they had him in waiting to go, hey, we'll go in first. We'll get our healing and then we'll pull you in too. There, we don't have direct instruction on how that worked out in, in Scripture. But, but a lot of people are putting uh, pieces together and going, it's possible that they were traveling together. And they brought this man to Jesus. But either way, Jesus continues to welcome these interruptions. 
He continues to see the needs of men as an opportunity to display his grace. And we know that the needs of man are great. The needs of man are plentiful. Yet Jesus continues to meet them with grace and love. And I want to implore you this morning, never let Satan lie to you and say that what you are dealing with and what you are walking through, that he doesn't care, Jesus doesn't care about that. Or Jesus has so many more things to deal with. Why would he want me to come and bring those things to him? If there's anything that we've seen in these first few times of Jesus' ministry, it is he welcomes the interruption. He welcomes the people with me. So this morning, don't allow Satan to lie to you and keep you from taking your need to the Father. He wants to hear from you. He wants to, to console you. He wants to give his grace to you in your time of need. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees, they saw it differently, didn't they? Verse 34 says, But the Pharisees said, He drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. All this good is being done. All of these people are receiving their healing, their sight, their speech, their being made whole. All these people are receiving all of these things. And all of these people are coming to know that the Messiah is Him. Yet the Pharisees have to explain it away. And not only are they explaining it away, they're vilifying Jesus. They're saying that he is acting through the power of the ruler of the demons. Why? He wasn't doing it their way. He wasn't doing it their way. The attention was no longer on the Pharisees. And so it was on Jesus because he was the one healing and teaching and preaching. The Pharisees were no longer getting praised. The Pharisees were no longer in the spotlight. And this goes back to that idea of knowledge and faith. Even the one whom they've been quoting scripture about. They have memorized so many things about the Messiah to come. They were the ones supposedly doing all the things that they were doing for Him. Yet He's right in front of them. 
He's right in front of them performing miracles. He's right in front of them fulfilling every word that the prophet foretold. But because he was doing it differently than they imagined, they couldn't accept it, they couldn't see it, and they wrote him off. They were not willing for their way of doing things to be interrupted so they miss Jesus completely. What a warning for us. What a warning for us to pause and to really see that our vision is to see that the people of Antioch cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's our goal. That's what we want to see God do. But how sad would it be if we become like the Pharisees because God chooses to do it in a different way than we expected? How sad would it be if we failed to reach our community because we are unwilling for our lives to be interrupted? There's an author, his name is Bob Goff. Here's what he said. He said, loving people the way Jesus did means that living a life filled with constant interruptions. Loving people the way Jesus did means living a life filled with constant interruptions. JJ, you can come on up. This morning, you may be feeling an interruption. This morning, you may be feeling an interruption from the Spirit of God. It could be that you are hearing the good news of the gospel for the first time. And maybe you've heard it before, but for some reason, the Spirit this morning has opened your eyes, and for the first time, the scales have been removed, and you're ready to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Would you do that today? Would you see this interruption of the Spirit as the beginning of your life and your new life in Christ? But for those of us who have professed Jesus, I want to ask this question. Are you willing to be interrupted? Are you willing to surrender your plans, your agenda, your comfort to be interrupted? And when those interruptions occur, we can respond in two different ways. We can respond like Jesus and see them as opportunity for ministry. Or we can respond like the Pharisees and push ourselves away even further from Jesus. Let me be clear. We have to set up boundaries. 
There are boundaries we take in our children's area for safety. There are boundaries that we take when we're living our life for safety. So don't hear me to go, okay, I have to throw all caution to the wind and not take care of myself or protect my family or those kind of things. There are boundaries there. But what I'm afraid we've done is that we've narrowed our vision so tightly that we don't even see that when an interruption comes, we're aggravated that our plans are being disrupted and not seeing it as an opportunity for ministry. It's good we have goals. It's good that we set forth goals in front of us. Jesus had the goal of going to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. But when the woman with the issue of blood reached out, he could have pushed her away and said, Woman, don't you see that I'm on my way to heal someone? He could have missed that interruption. He could have missed her altogether, but he didn't. He stopped and he engaged that interruption. See, the Pharisees were unwilling to see anything other than their own way of doing things. So much so, they missed Jesus entirely. So may we be a people who are willing to be interrupted. May we be a people that if opportunity comes to minister to others, that we make ourselves available, even if it seems like it's a burden or even unconventional. Even if it looks completely different than anything we've ever done before. Instead of being like the Pharisees, what we do is we welcome the interruption and see it as an opportunity for others to meet Jesus. And to cry out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe this morning we need to spend some time repenting of being like the Pharisees. Maybe we need to ask the Spirit to show us how that we can see our interruptions as an opportunity, not a nuisance. So let's take time this morning, ask the Spirit to move in our hearts to show us how we can be more like Jesus.